Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I am your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is Mike Vandebogart. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. We'd like to thank Verger CBD Products for sponsoring the show. And Joe, I've got to say, I finally tried one of the products from Verger. If you didn't know, I do have some issues getting to sleep at night, and I tried one of your products. I believe it's a chocolate bar that helps oh, it's with probably the uh, so if it was it was the sleeping stuff is the ra- relax dark yes chocolate? relaxed dark yeah. chocolate and i've got to say i've tried a lot of over-the-counter stuff benadryl things like that and nothing works this stuff after 45 minutes i'm sleeping like a baby so that's awesome uh, i highly I know that's what, yeah that's, I, I love this stuff <laughs> i do <laughs> i highly recommend it to anyone listening if you you have issues sleeping head over to vergermed.com and uh, check out their products yeah, and we do have the promo code uh, locations unknown fifteen is, and I don't think there is uppercase or lowercase. I don't think that matters, but locations unknown fifteen will get you fifteen percent off your order. So use it at checkout. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. November 16th, 2015. Seven men set out to hunt Lily Pond Road at the Lake George Wilderness Area in upstate New York. The men were all experienced hunters, had communication devices, and were not far from their camp on a commonly used road. After a few hours, the group decided to end the hunt and go home. Tom Messick, who was only sitting in one place about 40 yards from the main road, was never seen or heard from again. Join us this week as we uncover the bizarre details behind the disappearance of Tom and the search efforts that followed. Lily Pond in the Lake George Wilderness area is a wild forest that's about 72,500 acres in size. It's very similar to forests we have here in northern Wisconsin, has lots of hiking trails, uh, lots of wildlife, deer, uh, black bears, Um, great place to visit in the summer or winter depending on what kind of activity you're into. There's lots of ponds and lakes in this area, so uh, we're not going to go too in-depth with the the forest area just because it's it's your, your typical kind of northern climate forest so it's not like a big backcountry spot is what you're saying kind of like it's i won't say heavily trafficked not like a national park like in the main areas but it's like a just a regular wooded area that people can access yeah and you know it, it from the research i did it is very popular in new york and if I know you've been up north in Wisconsin, and you you can you can get easily get lost in the forests. They are immense, so you definitely could have issues with you know if you wandered off trail. 
but the guys we're talking about today stayed on a, a main road, so that that wasn't an issue. So, so this area, since it seems kind of like your basic wooded area that I would argue most of our listeners probably have nearby or within a 40-minute drive, we won't go too deep and waste a lot of time on what it's like. I mean, it's there's it's somewhat mountainous, hilly. There's ponds, there's trails, there's fishing, um, motorized recreational things you can do. So like ATVs, dirt bikes, things like that. There's nothing, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing really, I would say, uniquely dangerous about this other than just the what comes with just being around normal wooded areas. Yeah. And you know, this time of year, they're out there in November, it's getting colder. There's, there could be snow on the ground. So you you just, your typical issues you run in any forest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then I'll just start talking about Tom real quick. And I know, um, you're the one that focused on the timeline. So I'll start talking about Tom. So Tom Messick is really the focus of this group. He was part of a group of seven. He was 82 at the time. So normally we would say that age could be part of this disappearance, but this is something that they've done regularly. So it's not out of character for what they were doing. Tom was 5'10", 160 pounds. Uh, Last seen, he was gray hair, balding. He was in a red plaid cap, camouflage jacket, duck boots. He did have a walkie-talkie and a rifle that was loaded. I think it had three or four rounds in it. So it was was a, a normal rifle that's probably at capacity for the rifle he had there's a 30 odd six or a 30 30 he did have food with him and just to give a little background of his personality i wanted to talk about he was there with his sons how many sons did he have he had three so he has three sons they are tommy gene and rob tommy gene and rob okay yes i I did i did remember that and he was married for 56 years to beverly messick so from all accounts from everyone that talked to, he's a very good husband and father. Mm-hmm. He did have some health issues, but they never stopped him or slowed him down, meaning they weren't serious enough that he shouldn't have been out there or shouldn't have been doing what he was doing, and that could have been played a role in this. Mm-hmm. He did have an accident a while back. Um, I'm guessing he loads his own rounds because it was a gunpowder accident where it actually blew up in his face. He lost his right eye and needed stitches in his hand. Yeah. So he did have poor sight as a result of that in the in his one good eye. And he did have poor hearing, so he wore hearing aids. So he worked at a company called Norton's. So if you're from the New York area, you'll know that. He was an Army Airborne Ranger. So those guys are no joke as far as uh, his understanding of the outdoors and survival and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hunted and fished a lot. Uh, for years, Tom's, Tom taught hunter safety in the area. So he was... Very experienced. We'll just put it that way as far as what he was doing. They weren't backcountry hiking deep in the wilderness. They were off of a main road hunting, and they would walk in and kind of sit down. You know, yeah. they had their communications. They had food. They had um, they had guns, too. So if you, you would talk about, like, issues that can arise with other people. So they were experienced in this area quite a bit. They knew what they were doing, and they knew how to do what they were doing. I guess I'll put it that way. So... Without overstating it too much, I think that's a good setup for not only Tom, but also the group that he was with. They're all a group of his sons and friends that did this on a regular basis. Yeah, his sons grew up hunting and fishing and out in the wilderness. So all his friends for you know have been hunting together for decades. So they're all very experienced out in this area. 
I think it's a good cover, so we kind of know what the area is a basic wooded area. Not too many risks outside of, you know, time of year cold. Tom, older gentleman, has some health concerns, but knows what he's doing and probably knows his body too. So why don't, Mike, you just jump in to start telling us what happened on November 15th. Seven men uh, set out to go hunting on uh, November 15th, 2015 on, you know, the Lily Pond Road area near Brant Lake. One of Tom's friends, uh, Sid, uh, Sid Sharp, we'll call him Sid Sr. because he has a son also named Sid. He made the ultimate decision that day to go hunting in the Lily Pond Road area. And this is interesting because while they are very experienced hunters in this area, they had never hunted this road before. So they they didn't know the area, the, the immediate area they were hunting in. Okay, so they knew the park, but they went to a different spot of the park that they hadn't hunted yet. Yeah, so they, they're in a different area that they never, never hunted before. And the members of the hunting party that I could find were obviously Tom, uh, Rob, which is Tom's son, Sid Sr., Al, who was a friend of Tom, Joe Capicelli, which was another friend of Tom who uh, sadly died in 2016. There was Sid Jr., uh, the son of Sid, and then there was another unidentified man. I'm assuming he might have been a son or a friend, uh, but I, I wasn't able to figure out who the seventh um, individual of the hunting party was. Okay. So like we said, they were all experienced hunters. They knew the area. Everyone in the group had walkie-talkies that was on the same channel, and it was reported that Tom knew how to use his walkie-talkies, so you would assume if something had happened, if he had fallen or, you know, got lost, he would be on that walkie-talkie right away. Lily Pond Road is an uneven dirt road that goes for about two miles, and it would take about 12 minutes to drive it by car. Road's basically just a straight shot up to the lake where you park. So it's not hilly, it's not really curvy, it's, you know, just a straight dirt road. basic dirt road. Basic forest road. Yeah. We, We have, you know, tens of miles of those up north. So so we're jumping forward to lunch on 11.15. The group got off to a late start that day, so they didn't get up there until about noon. And they only really planned to hunt for about two hours, and then they were going to head back to their camp. The uh, plan was, and we've actually, I remember doing this when I was younger, when I, they were hunting deer, by the way. So I remember doing this kind of when I was a kid, hunting with my uncles. But the plan was to have the old guys kind of walk down the road in kind of a hundred yard increments. And then they would, they would stop and then they'd go in the woods about 30 or 40 yards and then sit down. They called these guys the watchers. So they basically would sit on a stump or a a rock or something and wait for a deer to, you know, run by and then they would shoot it. Oh, so they were doing a drive. That's what they're doing. Deer deer drive. drive. Yeah. Okay. So the older guys literally would walk in and sit spread out by a hundred yards, walk in, 34 so they could probably see the road but they'd sit on a stump or something and just wait they would just sit there and wait and you know if anything ran by they would you know they would shoot at it so the first watcher was sid the second was joe capicelli the third the third i believe was rob and the fourth was tom who was for no rob was one of the the guys driving the deer i think the third was might have been al and the fourth was tom who was the furthest from the lake Okay. So they had all the older guys sitting and the younger guys were driving driving the deer to them. Okay. So the other three hunters, which they called the younger guys, 
uh, they followed a trail that went along the lake and then came up to a snowmobile trail and they hopped that into the woods and they were planning to kind of swing back up to Tom in a counterclockwise motion. So if you're, you're listening, you know, kind of picture, you know, you've got the old guys kind of in a line, a vertical line. And then to the right of them, there's a trail that kind of curves around by the lake and they were going to, the younger guys were going to take that trail and then kind of curve counterclockwise back up to uh, where the old guys were sitting. Almost like closing a door. Yeah. Like, like it's like they had a hint, the hinge was the lake and then they had like the, the opening of the doors where the old guys were sitting and then the, uh, the younger guys were going to went come down and basically shut it and drive any deer or any wildlife that were there past the old guys. Exactly. So, okay. and it was described by people on the hunt, you know, very slow um, kind of hunting style that, you know, they're not sprinting through the woods. They're walking really slow, mm-hmm. you know, making, you know, trying to make some noise to kind of spook the deer ahead of them forward. As we're, you know, as they're doing this hunt, Sid, the younger guy, he mentioned that they didn't see any deer on the hunt. Or no, I apologize. This was Sid Sr. So Sid Sr. mentioned that they didn't see anything, but he claimed to hear a, like a strange noise in the woods and he didn't know what it was. And he, he said in an interview that I saw that it was different than what you would usually hear out in the woods. So it wasn't an animal sound. It wasn't, you know, maybe a deer rutting or snorting. I, I've heard, you've, anyone hunting's heard that kind of sound before. Yeah. And these guys have been hunting for decades, so well, they would that's, know that's exactly. Too. So if there, yeah, if there's someone on this listening to the show now that isn't hunting, that might seem weird to them, but I've been hunting since I was a kid. And you start recognizing, I can tell the difference between a squirrel running through the grass, a chipmunk running through the grass, a deer walking, a person walking. You can actually start differentiating those sounds. Yeah. So if you have someone who's a regular hunter um, that hunts more than even I did saying it's a strange sound, I think it's very reasonable to listen to that as something that's unidentifiable. Yeah. So, and like I said, he, he said it's something he's never heard before and it was a very quick sound, like one or two seconds and he, he says in one interview that it almost sounded like a trap closing. So that's a really a strange kind of sound. I'm picturing like a, you know, like a big bear trap, like closing one of those you, you've seen where you step yeah, in the like middle and the metal it, like, claws. Yeah. So Sid estimated the sound was about 150 yards away from him, which would have been in range of Tom. And it kind of came from the top of this hill that was in the middle of all of these men. And it was the sound was kind of towards where Tom was sitting. So, you know, later on in the the search, Sid Sr. mentions this to the police and they literally pass it off as nothing. And Sid said they never brought it up again. That's interesting. Yeah, you would think something that sounded like a trap closing or a strange sound like that, you would maybe put a little more effort in investigating that. But, you know, I guess at the time they didn't think it was a big deal. Mm hmm. So, all right, now we're moving forward in the day. So now it's about 3 o'clock on the 15th, and the hunt's wrapping up. The group hasn't spotted anything, so they're, they're heading back to their car. They all get to the car, but there's no Tom. They're, you know, they're kind of figuring, well, maybe he's you know, taking his time. Uh, so they start, they call him on his walkie-talkie, nothing. They start... So, so Sid Sr. basically, when he heard that sound, I know we talked about how he told the cops it was weird. Like, yep. that happened before they knew Tom was not there. Yeah. But 
it was something that he heard is like, oh, that was strange. Like, okay, no big deal. Now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. They're getting back to their car, which they had planned. And I'm guessing they were probably calling on the radios and stuff too. Yeah. And you're saying, so Tom didn't, Tom's not there now when they're back. No. So yeah, they get back from the car or they get back to their, there's two cars. They get back to the cars. No, Tom. So yeah, they, they instantly like, all right, he's just taking his time. So they try the walkie talkies. They hear nothing. So at this point they start looking for him. They look, they, they go down the road, they walk into the woods, everywhere where Tom would have been, nothing. So they start firing shots off into the air, hoping he would hear them. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's been, you know, up north in the woods, you can hear gunshots from miles away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it kind of echoes through the woods. And it would be, even with someone that's got hearing aids, it would be pretty easy to to hear that shot, kind of sense what direction it's coming from and walk that way if you were you're missing. Absolutely. And you got to remember, they didn't go very far. They went, you know, a couple hundred yards down the road and then into the woods. So they're firing shots off. And we're talking about an 82-year-old man that's not going to get very far. He's not. Yeah, it's not like he's running away or something like that. No. Even if he, like, started wandering in the wrong direction. Yep. uh, It's not deep backcountry. No. It's a wooded area. Eventually, they search. They're shooting their guns off. Nothing. One of the members of the group decides to head down the road. I guess there was um, a ranger station or an office somewhere not too far away, so they went down there to inform the rangers that they've got a missing hunter. We are fast-forwarding to the evening now on the 15th. Last light uh, at the time was 7.34 p.m., Mm -hmm. so the group is all still by their cars, and they make a decision at this point to split up. One group was going to stay with one of the cars at the spot where they parked and they were going to periodically honk the horn at night and shoot shots off, you know, in the hopes that maybe Tom, maybe if he wandered off, he could hear it and, you know, head back to the car. Sure. The other group was going to go back into town and inform the authorities that Tom's obviously missing. And it's also at this time that Tom's son, Rob called his wife to inform, to inform her that he was missing. Okay. So you think about timelines here. They started hunting at noon. Now it's, you know, seven hours later. And I would say, you know, the authorities have been told and Tom's wife's been told. So yeah, they're getting, they're getting pretty nervous. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is what you want to see in a search. You want to see it happen quickly because the sooner you start searching, the better chance you have of finding someone alive. Absolutely. Starting on the morning of the 16th is when the formal search started. The main group that was running the search at this point was the New York State Forest Rangers. Okay. And they were running it out of a town nearby called Horicon. And this is a a very you know small town of 1,350 people, close-knit community. I remember reading some of the reports. The um, I believe it was the mayor or the, the supervisor of the town was coming into work, and he saw a state forest ranger helicopter landing in like an open patch of grass. And he's like, huh, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the town of Horicon is the kind of the, the, the headquarters for the search operation. During the initial search efforts, I read that Undersheriff Sean, and I'm going to butcher this last name, so I apologize. I believe it's Lamore. Yeah, I think that's right. That looks right. He had a really interesting comment about the area where Tom went missing, kind of a, a little spooky. 
He said that when they initially got up to the area to start the search, that it was completely devoid of wildlife. They didn't see squirrels, chipmunks, deer, or any sign of animals up there. Wow. And that's, I mean, for that time I, of the know, year, too, when they're like, it's winter prep and they're running around like crazy or supposed to be at least. When you're out in the woods, you hear birds chirping. I mean, it's a very live place. There's lots of animals, squirrels. A lot of times you'll be walking down the trail and there'll be squirrels in the trees. Kind of, they get mad at you and they like, they make noise. You know, they're upset that you're walking by. Oh yeah. So that, that's a, to me, that's really strange that the area seemed devoid of wildlife, like nothing. And that, and that's another thing too. It's um, strange because you have a guy who's, you know, a forest ranger or an undersheriff for that area. So he's in that area, probably spends a lot of time in the woods and he's saying it's weird. So it's not like an outside group came and was like, oh, there's no wildlife here. But then if you talk to a local, they're like, oh, there's really never really anything up there. If he's from the area and thinks it's weird, that's, I think, a big indicator that something is off. So according to the undersheriff, the the first uh, SAR group to get up there was the Warren County Emergency Response Team uh, that consisted of 13 professionally trained team members. So these guys, they're not volunteers. They you know, they're professionally trained to do search and rescue missions. So you've got a, a good group of people up there with, you know, the knowledge and how to conduct a professional search. And like you said before, you're talking first thing next morning, 13 pros are out there. Less um, than 24 not, hours. Yeah. Not trampling the area, not yep. ruining the search effort by just, you know, traipsing through the woods outside of what the other guys already did. So they, they, it seems like they got off to a fantastic start in what you'd want to have happen. Out of a lot of the cases we've looked at, this by far, I, I really applaud the, the officials uh, in that area for getting a, such a massive operation going this quickly. Because in addition to the Warren County Emergency Response Team, uh, the Air National Guard also deployed a helicopter with uh, FLIR, and the state police had helicopters on location as well. And then in addition to the assets in the air, they also, the New York State uh, Corrections Department had canine units and canine units on the ground. And then there were other volunteer SAR teams that had additional canine units. So, But they're all being led by trained people. Yeah. And uh, one firefighter from that town uh, interviewed on this case estimated that there were 50 to 60 organizations in total at the, the peak of the search and rescue operation. So... Uh, this is a pretty massive uh, search and rescue operation that gets kicked off in a very short amount of time. They mentioned that in tandem with a lot of the, the units in the air, they had hundreds of searchers canvassing every square inch of that area where Tom went missing. They were walking through swamps and you know muddy areas up to their, their waists. Literally, one, one of the sons said, for a mile, you could see, you know, you had people that were like almost standing next to each other. And if you, you looked the wrong way, you might trip over them. So, Jeez. and that's funny too because like they're 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 covering the easy areas, but they're also covering the areas that an eighty year old man is not going to go into. Yeah, and they did another uh, a cool thing that I we haven't read about in our other cases where they were using string and they were creating things called bump lines. So picture picture a big rectangle. And on the top and bottom of the rectangle, you have these bump lines. So they're basically stringed off areas, you know, tied from tree to tree. It didn't specify how far they go. I'm assuming, you know, probably 100 yards or 50 yards or whatever they do. And then with in between those bump lines vertically, they would they would 
walk from the top bump line and the bottom bump line. So I'm trying to describe this for people listening. So you've got your rectangle. So on the right side of the rectangle, on the vertical area between the bump lines, you had people every couple feet. And you would walk in 25 yards. Then you would tie a string from the lower bump line to the upper bump line. And then that area has been searched. Okay, so eventually they had physical string and they had box off an area that essentially literally you'd have people every couple feet. So it's quite literally every square inch has been searched. And then you knew that that area had been looked at. So you wouldn't. Yep. Okay, so wow. So not only were they by a map coordinating the effort, they were physically marking searched areas so that they wouldn't double search or miss spots. Yeah, one of his sons said the forest looked like a spider web. There were so many strings, you know, tied to trees in the areas that they uh, had searched. So that's a really interesting search method that we've not encountered in our other cases yet. And I think that's important, too, because I always thought about, like, it seemed like the from the pictures I saw, too, of the area, these woods weren't really dense or thick. But I always wondered, like, in some of these searches, like, is it so thick that you think about some of those areas where we've heard people talk about, it's so thick that someone could be a foot or two away from you and you might not even know it if they're laying there motionless dead. Yep. So like that's where this would come into play really well. But this is an area where they're doing this method in an area that doesn't have as much thickness as that. Plus, again, the time of the year. Time of the year, a lot of the leaves are, exactly. are on the ground. All the foliage um, would be dead. So, I mean, you wouldn't have a lot of that that stuff going on. Yeah, so it's a it's a really interesting search method. I would uh, – maybe someday we'll, we'll give – our friend to call from Colorado again to see how often he's aware of these bump lines being used, um, in searches, you know, that yeah, seems effective to me. So one of the, one of the sons had mentioned that at, at the peak of the search, there were probably 300 people up there in the woods at any one point. So we're talking a, a massive search operation. If there was so much activity up in the woods, people in Horicon were, you know, kind of like, who went missing? Was it like the governor's son or they felt like a dignitary went missing out in the woods? <laughs> wow. They just had so many people. They're just like baffled by the, the scale of the operation. And at this point, people people had no theory on what really happened to him. You know, one theory was maybe he he wandered out to a paved road and was hit by a car. So they actually had searchers checking the ditches of all the main roads in the area to to see if maybe he got hit and then you know, maybe he was tossed off to the side of the road. They found nothing. You know, the family mentioned that after a couple of days of the search, they they knew something, you know, happened to him and it wasn't good. And his, you know, his sons throughout this search were just kind of in disbelief. They didn't find anything. Yeah, that's, cr- I mean, he had a gun, he had food, he had clothing, like, so you like. Well, even the undersheriff, he, you know, he, he says that it's really, like if you drop your rifle, that's not going to blow away. That's not going to wash away. You're going to find it. They didn't find his rifle. They didn't find clothing. They didn't find anything. They didn't find tracks. I mean, it's it's like he just vanished off the face of the earth, which is uh, just bizarre. So the first day of the search, it's getting ramped up. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of assets in the air, lots of canine units on the ground. Uh, day two starts up and... Uh, the search was hampered uh, severely by uh, really heavy rains that day. So uh, it's always interesting. I, 
you see this in a lot of the cases, and I know the uh, the guy who writes the Missing 401 books, um, this is kind of a key to all his disappearances, is there's always strange weather events that hamper the search. And this is no different. Yeah, so this was no different. There was a, a really bad uh, rainstorm. Well, the, and I think it's important that they had canines out there before the rain occurred. So they did have they did have dogs out there trying to pick up scent before the rain event. So yeah, and they didn't find anything, which is insane because they know exactly where he was. Like they they know exactly where he was. So they would exactly. have started from where he was sitting. They know. I think they even said they knew like the log he was sitting on. Yeah. So they had a good idea of where he was, and they couldn't even track a scent from that point. Day two of the search doesn't doesn't go well it rains you know heavy rains all day uh day three they search now this this is where it starts getting really bizarre so on the fourth day so this is november 19th now two fbi agents show up uh to the the search and rescue operation anyone who is probably in law enforcement is familiar with this and i i had to research it but according to fbi protocol they they don't they don't get involved with the search for missing people unless it's a small child or if it's like an abduction by a family member. Or I'm sure like a serial killer, like ongoing investigation as serial killers, things like that. They definitely don't show up to search and rescue operations for like elderly people. Yeah. That's highly unusual. You know, the local law enforcement officials running this search operation were kind of puzzled that the FBI had showed up. Some thought they were there to provide some sort of tech, technological support, but they said most of the local officials uh, never even had contact with the agents. Because it would be different if it was requested, but from what your notes are saying, it wasn't even there. And, and David Politis himself, I mean, he was an investigator. He was baffled by that. I know he talked about it in his book. And the uh, the local law enforcement officer in charge of the search effort said he had never seen the FBI get involved in a search like this before. So it was a new one for him. And it, you know, it just left kind of everyone involved kind of, all right, what, what's the FBI doing here? Is there something more going on that we don't know about? The FBI did have a conversation with Tom's wife. All they said to her, a very brief conversation, they told her that they were there. They were there to tell her that they now considered him a missing person. And they felt that something definitely was not right. But unless and until they made a recovery, they wouldn't know what it was. That's all they said to her. How cryptic is that? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 so weird. <laughs> yeah, they said uh, they he's a missing person, and something definitely was not right about it. My mind just races with uh, theories and weird. You know, I guess they, not theories, they, but... they didn't show up in a black crown Vic, did they? <laughs> was it uh, Fox and Scully? Yeah, I know. <laughs> The agents, after they, they made their way to Horicon, they eventually made their way up to the search area, you know, Lily Pond Road, and they just started to monitor the effort. They were taking notes and writing reports. From what I read, these reports would get sent to a behavioral analysis, a behavioral analysts in Virginia. So their job is to look for other cases that match the profile that they're, you know, writing the reports about. I don't know if the FBI thought that maybe there's a serial killer that. Wow. So yeah, I want that. Yeah, and there's something that matches.
Yeah, it's weird. And from what I was able to research, there's historical reports dating back to the 1960s that show the FBI has monitored numerous missing person cases that are are strangely similar to uh, this case. I don't know if there's something the FBI is aware of that they're they're like, okay, these cases all have similar things in common. We better we better send some people up there to monitor it. But it's just a really bizarre aspect of this. Yeah, they like make it worse by not explaining what they're doing there. Just kind of like sitting in the back taking notes and then being like, okay. Like we said, the FBI show up on the 19th. They're very cryptic in why they're there. They're not talking to anyone. And they, they blast out of there you know, pretty quickly. Uh, the formal search for Tom ended on November 26th. You know, there's been a lot of news articles since his disappearance that, you know, search efforts have continued uh, with family and friends and people hunting and hiking out in there, and they have not found a single item of his belongings. Nothing. No clothing, no bones, no gun, nothing. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's... It's a bizarre case, and I, I did some research, too. I want to make a side note here. There was another missing person case that happened on the 10th day of Tom's search, about 40 miles south of where Tom went missing. It was an older gentleman again, and he was, I think he was out, he, he lived on a rural farm with his wife. He was a retired supervisor from his town. He was an avid outdoorsman. His wife left on Thanksgiving Day to go to a banquet, and when she returned in the afternoon, her husband was gone. His car was there, all of his belongings were in the house, but he had simply vanished. It was This is interesting because not only the, the two people that went missing were similar and the circumstances were similar, but the state of New York pulled off all of their rangers from the missing Tom's case to go search on this case on the 10th day. And they, it was a huge operation again. They had helicopters, canine units, and the eventual outcome was exactly the same. They never found a single wow, thing of the only, guy. You said it was only 40 miles south of where Tom disappeared? Yep. I, I would say the name of the city it's near, but I'll just butcher it. It's uh, uh, Schoilerville? <laughs> Schoilerville? Schoilerville? <laughs> I, that's, that's my best guess. Yeah, and this guy was 68 years old. So it's just a side note. It Another interesting piece of this case that, all right, you've got Tom that went missing, and now just 40 miles south, 10 days later, another another guy, similar circumstances, goes missing, and then nothing's found of him. So uh, it's it's very coincidental that those two things happened so close to each other. That's that's crazy. So I'm immediately jumping into just like, in a, in, for theory's sake, I'm not going to give an, an idea yet, but I'm just thinking of like the key points to me in the case are the location of the older gentleman. So they they obviously knew their limits to the point where they're like, hey, you're going to all walk. Probably, I mean, they're within earshot, maybe not for Tom with the hearing issue, but they have walkie-talkies. They're only 40 yards off the road. They could probably see the road from where they're sitting, and they're just going to stay in one spot. And the whole idea is these guys can't walk a lot. Let's have them sit down. They do this, uh, the, they do a deer push, and Tom's just gone. He's just, so the one thing, he was the farthest from the lake. If we're saying the lake is the starting point of this operations where they parked. Yep. So he's, and he had no guys behind, you know, past him. So he was the last of the watchers too. And there are four, there are four watchers, 
four watchers and then three guys driving driving the deer. So he's about you know, 400 yards from the parking spot. So he would have to walk down the road, which again, it's a road. So it's not walking through woods or anything. It's not too bad of a walk. And then only 40 yards in. Did they mention at all if they like had radio communication when they're all in their spots? Like they know he got to a spot. They, you know, I didn't see any anything that said they had confirmation that he had gotten to a spot. But obviously, being the last guy in the line, so the third guy, you know, walks in and sits. Now Tom has to walk farther down the road and then in. So theoretically, we don't technically know that he got to his spot and sat down. Okay, and that that's kind of where it's. You think they would have mentioned it because, and this is where I really wish they would. Someone would have said something. I would assume when everyone got to their spot, they'd radio like, "Hey, I'm here." Because otherwise, I feel like someone would have mentioned like, "Oh, we're not sure if he got there," because they seem pretty confident they knew exactly where he was sitting. Yeah. So, and they didn't. They didn't mention that they communicated with each other once they got to their spot. Uh, they very well could have said, or, you know. Uh, it's Tom. I'm I'm at my spot. We just don't know if they did well, that. Or I've not. just been on radio communications with people while hunting and stuff, and you just say stupid stuff. Like you just talk sometimes. Like, hey, I'm here. Like just saying, you know, yeah, just speaking back and forth, just for fun, kind of deal. Like they're having a good time. They're out for a hunt. So I can't imagine it was complete radio silence until someone said, "All right, we're starting the drive. Everyone, go radio silent." Type of deal. Yeah. So that's a good point. You know, we don't technically know that he made it to the spot where he was sitting there's no reason to think he didn't because like you said it's a flat road he's only walking maybe another 100 yards down the road you know a football field that's Mm -hmm. not that far and then he's only going in 30 or 40 yards at most I would say high probability is he got to the spot he wanted to be at yeah there's a good chance that the the third guy the third watcher saw him sit down yeah they don't make a note of that but you know it's possible so yeah, that's uh, that's bizarre. Uh, one of the things the the law enforcement officials kept mentioning that they they are almost one hundred percent ruling out any kind of animal attack. They would have found evidence of that, and the fact that they they went up there and said it it looked devoid of wildlife, you know, makes me think that a very very low probability that he was injured or attacked by an animal and i mean upstate new york maybe you've got what black bears and the point is i mean the way they were searching again with those bump lines and stuff they would have found ripped clothing torn something blood anything yeah they, they would have found the the area where the animal attacked especially overnight there was no rain or anything so it wouldn't have been washed away and you know and from other cases we've we've mentioned that animals don't they're not going to drag somebody you know a mile away they're going to well, yeah, just in our last case, they said like it dragged it 30 yards in one of the bodies of the men who died uh, in California. Um, they It was very clearly an animal attack and it moved the body, but they, yeah, 20 or 30 yards, I think was the total amount. All right. So we were, I think we're both in agreement. Definitely not animal attack. Not animal attack. Based on the facts we know, what do you think? What do you think, Mike? I'm just going to ask you square. Like, so what, what do you I'm, think happened? <laughs> I'm going to go through what I don't think it is. So, okay. I don't think he wandered off to a road and got hit because they, they searched all of the, the ditches and they didn't find him. We said it wasn't an animal attack. I don't think it was exposure related. Um, you know, it's November. It, it's it's getting cold out, but it's not it's not to the it was still raining out. So it's not below freezing. He it sounded like he you know, he had 
warm clothing on and he he's an, an ex army ranger yeah he's been out in the woods for decades if he got lost i i have even at 82 with one eye and bad hearing i have high confidence that he would survive the night that that old army ranger training would kick in and he would figure it out and even if not they would find his body yeah if he succumbed to to exposure i just can't imagine him wandering off on his own he like we said he's a a, an army ranger he's a veteran so he's highly trained in navigation and surviving out in the wilderness he's been hunting for decades in this part of new york i don't think he just wandered off and got lost and died outside of the search area i think my leading theory and i say this because the fbi show up i think and then this other guy went missing that potentially maybe there's some type of serial killer some crazy guy that's living out in the woods and attacked him and took him the fbi showed up because this isn't the first time it's happened and then it happens 10 days later 40 miles south maybe that's why they didn't they didn't find anything because the guy whoever attacked him took his weapon and but you would but then even as i'm saying that i'm thinking like all right how did he get this old man out of the woods then you know like they would have found print, you know, tracks from a car or a four wheeler. So you know what? I'm I'm gonna say I'm a hundred percent agreeing with you. I think there is some foul play. Yeah. To where? Because it is weird. The FBI showed up, so we can go far paranormal route where he was abducted by aliens, and the guys that showed up are researching recent abductions in the area, and they know something. But I think more realistic is they are tracking a trending issue. Yes. And that's why they were there. Quite honestly, they probably, it would be nice to know if they went to the one that was 40 miles south as well. Yeah. And I think you there's a spectrum here of what, so if you're one of those people that does not believe in any type of conspiracy theory, I think you're going to, you're going to think that there's, you know, like a, like a serial killer that's preying on people out in the woods. Well, it's, it's a matter of, I mean, he could have approached him. Maybe he was stalking this group, approached him and said, hey, like, I'm a park ranger. I need you to come with me and, and you're, these people need help. And maybe got him to freely pick up his stuff and walk out and get into a vehicle with him. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the one end of the spectrum. You got the far other end of the spectrum. You've got the weird sound that kind of sounded like a trap. You've got the FBI showing up. I mean, you could, it could be all kinds of weird, bizarre, paranormal stuff going on too. We just... It's fun thinking about that. I mean, like I've I've always said, I'm a huge fan of X Files. <laughs> but yeah, this is a real head scratcher. I think, uh, you know, it's four years since he went missing, and still no one has any clue on a you know an official theory of what happened. What what do you th- so you think it might be some kind of foul play, maybe serial killer? I think he was abducted. I think he was abducted by someone. I think that's the only logical thing. I think that's what I think it'd be fun to play the route of paranormal. And that's why the FBI showed up and there's some weird trapdoor noise. But I think legitimately it was more than likely. I mean, uh, what about this? You're a hundred yards away. You know, the let's say the guy pulls up in a truck, goes in, gets Tom, comes out. And that trapdoor noise was a door shutting. Of a car. Oh, that's a good point. Like yeah. slammed a car door on him or something like that. And, and maybe the, the road is is compact enough that it's hard to make I, yeah, I don't know. tracks I think it could, out. 
Or maybe there's so many tracks from cars going up and down it. That's what I say. If, it, if it's a dirt road, I mean, you can't differentiate a regular truck or something like that. So, or did he, you know, hit him with his gun or something? And that's what he yeah. heard. Like, did he punch him or, or assault him at the road and then stuff him into a vehicle and drive yeah. away, you know, heading south? And then all of a sudden, 10 days into it, there's another one missing. I don't want to, I don't want to tie the two together, but I just think it is. Sometimes you get coincidences that are too coincidental to be not related. It it sounds like this road goes, it, it only goes, you know, one direction. There's not like an exit at the end of it. So if he, he obviously no one drove down the way they walked because the three other guys would have seen a car drive by or a four wheeler. So he would have to go the other way on the road and somehow get out of the area without being detected by the guys pushing deer or the guys sitting. And that's a good point that kind of can screw over my theory is <laughs> it's a one well, I'm just I'm just trying to think it all out. So it's it's a one-way road. Does this person who's preying on these individuals was he like camped out at the top of the road and saw them go in? Yeah. And was just kind of sitting there waiting cuz they didn't mention any other cars no. down by the lakeside, so was it like Oh, this one older gentleman is, you know, up at the top and he's the unlucky one who was the fourth one in the line. You know, if yeah. it was one of the other guys that was fourth in line, they would have been the ones that were abducted. So is it is it random? But then there's also the fact of if there wasn't anyone sitting there, how did they randomly just find this guy 40 yards off the road right in the woods? Well, and you've got, you know, he's he's I guess you could say he's disabled a bit. He's got poor vision. So Someone could probably, you know, poor hearing. Someone could probably sneak up on him without him knowing it. We don't know, you know, with hearing aids, and he should be able to hear someone walking up. But who knows? Maybe he. Well, and that's where that's where I feel like he he probably would have had to leave under his own volition, because otherwise, I mean, it would have to be more than one person to carry him out. My four wheelers broke down. I need help. Yeah, some story to get him up and going to the road. I mean, he's an older guy. If someone asked him for help, he'd probably get up and help him. Yeah, everyone mentioned that the, uh, Tom was, you know, would help anybody. He was very handy. He could fix anything. So I, I think it's entirely possible that if someone came up to him and be like, "Hey, my vehicle broke down. My four wheelers broke down. Can you come help me with something?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And then he walks over there, and then maybe the guy, yeah, hits him with his gun, and that's the sound Sid heard. And yeah. he's, you know, throws him on the back of the four wheel and drives off into the woods. That that's my that's that's my ending theory. That's what I'm sticking to. I think he was outside of paranormal stuff. I think he was abducted by somebody that's specifically doing this, and that's partially why the FBI showed up because this case met a profile that they were already tracking. Yeah, and maybe you know, like we said, that guy went missing ten days later, but maybe there's. I didn't I didn't research this, but maybe there's other cases um, in this area from years you know prior years, and the FBI was instantly triggered. Like, all right, we got to get up there. It's happened again. We need to figure out you know where's this guy going? Why is he doing it? That's probably why the FBI were there. Yep, they're probably. I'm I'm on that board. Yeah, writing their reports. They're probably. You know, here's all the details, and they send it down to their analysts down in Virginia, and they're they're probably trying to come up with, all right, where is he? You know, where is he based out of? And uh, yeah, it's a bizarre case, though. I I feel terrible for 
the family in this one. I mean, he sounds like a really nice yeah, nice it's guy. Just, it's like it's the the comforting, not comforting, but it's just it's it's not as bad as like when a child goes missing, but still they don't have closure. There's no closure on that when you can't when you can't find it. So that's that's really unfortunate. But yeah, hopefully something turns up in the next few years. I mean, honestly, so that they can get closure or find out what's going on. And it's got to be so missing. puzzling for the other guys in the hunting party. I can't imagine. I mean, you, he's like he's just he's right there. What happened? <laughs> Yeah, he's got a walkie-talkie, and that's so. Hold on, that kind of puts a, a hamper in my theory too, because if he was going to go help somebody, he might call it in. Yeah, why wouldn't he call his buddies and be like, "Hey, um, I'm not at my spot. This guy has a broken down car." Unless, like, the sound he heard the trap sound was a guy snuck up behind him and cracked him over the head. Yeah, and then carried him off. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm baffled. You would think you would think dogs would track that though. Exactly. If you're dragging a guy through the woods to your four wheeler, I, I, I'm. I'm just imagining that that would be a trackable scent. <laughs> yeah. Unless it was like, hey, he walked in here, and if he dragged him out the same way, they're like, yeah, he came in on the road here, but then That's they don't track point. him from the car. I don't know. I don't know. It would be great to to get somebody from that search and rescue team on the phone and talk to him about it. And just make it seem more confusing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, again, another case that we have no clue what happened in the end. <laughs> Location still unknown. Yeah. No, I think it was. A, I think it was a good case, a good story. We definitely want to know your theories, so please comment uh, when we post this thing. Comment on it. Let us know what you guys think. Uh, everything from paranormal down to debunking our theories based on something you've heard or read. Yeah. Uh, make make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever we're at. And I'd say outside of that, Mike, anything else? So yeah, Joe. I think outside of. Uh potential serial killer i don't have any other theories on what happened to tom in this case all right well thanks for listening everybody and remember if you're hunting camping backpacking when you're out in the woods leave no trace 